everybody, welcome to another episode of Bothell Amplified. Pastor Joe here, and I'm really excited to be sharing with you our latest sermon series. Uh, we launched it today, and it's going to go all the way to Pentecost, so over the next three weeks until we celebrate the birth of the church. But we wanted to take some time to really think about and discern and to speak talk about and to share about what it means to be church in this day and age. What does it mean for us as we look at the changing landscape, as we look at the political climate, as we look at the injustices that continue to seem to be rising more and more, how do we respond and what can be the role of the church? This first sermon is based on Revelation 21 um, and 22. We, we go into uh, some of what John sees as he uh, is given this vision of what the world could be. Check it out. The sermon is here. You know, I recently saw this video online. Uh, it was children describing God to an illustrator while he took their words and sketched what would become an image of their God. And, and these kids were somewhere between the ages like 7 and 13. And as you can imagine, the descriptions of God had a wide, wide range. You know, one child described God in a bathrobe. Uh, holding a basket of flowers in one hand, and, and there was a toothbrush and a whistle in the pockets of, of, of the robe, and, and God was walking under a rainbow. And an older child described an old man with many arms, one for the many religions uh, in the world. Another child described a lion's head on a frog body, while another guy, uh, person described God with two heads, one angry, one happy. Uh, two of the kids, who appear to be siblings, they, they started describing uh, with a sister saying that uh, God looked more like her. Then she quickly changed her mind and said, well, no, 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 God actually looks more like my brother. And, and by the end of the drawing, God looked a lot like both of them, uh, but one uh, side had a hot dog and the other side had a hamburger. Others drew a safety net. Uh, others said God is like a big hug. Uh, God is the defender you know what not one of these many children interviewed described? No one described God in a church. You know, in some way, I, I got the sense that in their own ways, uh, they were each trying to depict a God who was in control of the whole world in a seemingly out-of-control world. And I wonder, the, the world does seem to be spiraling out of control, doesn't it? The, the war in Ukraine continues in the midst of other wars and conflicts. Human rights violations and election discrepancies across the world. Motivated, uh, racially motivated killings and hate crimes worsening climate change, the rise in homelessness and houselessness. We're still navigating the dangers and impacts of COVID. We're still learning about and wrestling with the fallout of the January 6th insurrection. We're hearing about a congressperson celebrating schools in Virginia being named after Confederate generals. We're awaiting news from the Supreme Court about the fate of Roe v. Wade. Perhaps at one time, the church and religion might have been where people turned to respond to these challenges in the world, but that's clearly no longer the case. See, according to the Pew Research Center, in their most recent 2021 survey, uh, they, they looked at the religious composition of the United States, and they found that the religiously unaffiliated share of the public 
is six percentage points higher than it was five years ago, 10 points higher than the last decade, than a decade ago. Those identifying with Christianity uh, specifically dropped 12 points since 2011, and the number who say that they pray on a daily basis and those who say that religion is, quote, very important in their lives, they are both trending downward. Since 2007, when, when the Pew Research Center began asking its current question about religious identity, uh, Christians had outnumbered those identifying with no religion almost 5 to 1, 78% to 16. Today, the ratio is a little more than 2 to 1. It's 63 to 29. One more, the, the, the Springtide Research Institute, they recently released uh, their State of Religion and Young People 2020, it's a report where they ask young people to tell them what helps them discover a sense of purpose, and way down on the list was religion, tied with nothing has helped. And with all that's happening in the news, Christians defending white supremacy, Christians singing and preaching on planes, Christians refusing communion to Nancy Pelosi because of the grave evil she is or perpetrating, the scandal she is causing, the danger to her own soul she is risking, churches splitting because we're not exclusive enough? And I wonder if the church is in a moment of our history that, that requires a new imagination. I'm actually going to change that. I, I, I don't wonder. I know that we, the church, is in need, in this moment of time, a new imagination. I'm, I'm listening to this amazing uh, audiobook. It's, it's Walking on Water, Reflections on Faith and Art by Madeline Langle. And she, she talks about our dependency on revelation, humanity's dependency on revelation, this, this revealing of some truth, this, this revealing of something previously unknown. And she quotes this uh, atomic physicist who, who calls on human beings to always be listening, to always be intent to hear and to see, to not strive to superimpose the structures of our own minds, our own systems of thought on the current realities. And she says this, she says, at the beginning of all spiritual endeavors stands humility, and those who lose it can achieve no other heights than the heights of disillusionment. Creatives, scientists, and saints, they expect revelation and do not fear it, and neither do children. I, th I think this is what John is inviting us to do in our text this morning. I think, I think John is inviting us to see the world anew, to enter into this new spiritual endeavor and to be humbled before God and before one another, to let go of our own understandings, our own truths, our own ways of thinking and doing. She invites us, and now John invites us to expect revelation. Chapter 21, we, we didn't read this, but it, it starts with, verse 1 starts with, then I saw a new heaven and new earth. This, this, this is the word new. 
It's used in Scripture in a few different ways, but, but in this context, this word new does not mean it's an improvement of what once was. This, this word new, it challenges us to think about something uncommon, something of a new kind, something unheard of, something unprecedented. And so, so, so when John is describing this newness, he's describing something that's completely different than what is as a way to understand God's vision for the world. See, John and his readers, they're, they're, they're probably living in uh, the end of the first century. It's a, it's a time, according to church historians, where, where Christians were being persecuted for their faith. And there was this Roman emperor who, who in an effort to increase his own power and maintain his own persona as a deity, as a god, he required all the people to declare him as Lord. And, and the Christians refused, and, and now they're crucified on crosses. They're, they're killed as sport in the Colosseum. They're, they're fed to lions. And John... And the fellow surviving Christians, this, this church, the remnant of this church, they need something new. They need a new way of hoping for an alternative future, something different from what exists now. And so we get to our text, and there he is. He's carried away to this great high mountain, shown the city, the holy city that's coming down from God, and he sees no temple. That's important. He sees no temple. Remember, back, back, way back in the time of Jerusalem, the temple was built as God's permanent dwelling place. See, before that, the people, they carried God, the presence of God, in a box uh, from the time of slavery in Egypt all the way through the wilderness, and they finally get to build this temple. It's to remind them of God's covenant with them, to, to be present with them, where they understood their common identity as God's chosen people. But by the time we get to Jesus... The temple is no longer serving fully under that purpose. The temple is ruled by Rome. The temple is appointed, uh, the leaders are appointed as Roman officials. Uh, they, they serve Rome's interests. There's an occupation where Rome controls all that's happening, that they benefit from the financial complexities and the systems that ex exist. And eventually, finally, Israel says, enough. And so we get to 66 CE, where there's the first Jewish revolt. It's launched against Rome. It's in the region of Judea. And there's a long series of clashes, these small pockets, these small groups of, of, of Jewish folk. They're, they're trying to attack and to revolt, and they're being uh, swept away by these severe Roman uh, countermeasures. And, and, and four years later, in 70 CE, the revolt ends with this temple that is destroyed. I wonder if you know what it's like to miss something, or, or at least to miss the idea of something. You know, I, I remember years ago when, when my brother and I were younger, we were uh, taking a family road trip, and, and we decided that we were, well, we were living in Ohio, and we decided that we would uh, do a trip to the East Coast, we would see our family drive up to Maine and then go through Canada back down to Ohio, and uh, along the way, we, we stopped by a few of the houses that we had lived in uh, as a family growing up. 
And in one particular house, you know, my, my, my brother was just born, so he didn't really remember the house, but I, I held some really fond memories of, of growing up and playing. And, and I remember we were turning into uh, the street in our uh, Plymouth Voyager SE, and, and we were turning into our street, and I was desperately looking for something familiar, anything familiar, and, and we kept driving back and forth up and down the street saying over and over, it used to be right there. I hadn't lived in that house for over 12 years, but it was the idea of the house, it was the the knowledge of it being gone that forced me to tears as I was sitting in the back seat driving away from where home used to be. I wonder if perhaps these these early believers, they're, they're still holding on to that something familiar, something comforting. See, the idea of the temple as God's dwelling place in and among them. And John starts uh, his description of this new heaven and this new earth by saying there is no temple. Stop dreaming of what once was. Stop holding on to the ways of the old. See, God is doing something new, something we can't even comprehend, something we can't even imagine. And he goes on, there'll be no need for sun and moon because the glory of God will be bright enough for you and for me and for us. There'll be safety. The the, the gates that are open, they they were at the uh, entrances of the city and we close them at night because we want to keep our city secure. These gates are going to be permanently open so that all people can enter into the city to enter in. The people will be coming from all nations, bringing glory and honor. The presence of all people will be the glory and the honor as we experience the joy of community coming together. And then we get to verse 27. Nothing clean will Nothing unclean will enter, nor anyone who practices abomination or falsehood. I want to name real quick and acknowledge the harm that this verse has done in the world. See, the the church and, and, and we have used this verse to determine who gets to be clean and who gets to be unclean. We are the ones who said that those are you who are practicing abomination and falsehood. We have used this verse to keep people out, to push people away from God's abundant love, to say that we're the in-group and you are not, and we wonder why the church is losing its relevancy in the 21st century. Look, I'm not suggesting that we are given permission to live recklessly or or without care. But I want to be firm on this. I, I am naming that we don't get to decide who or what is unclean. I'm naming that it is not our call. In fact, I believe that as John is writing this, as he himself is dreaming of this new future, as he is receiving this revelation of what could be, I believe that John is declaring that there will be no more idea of unclean. That in that perfect reality, God will invite everyone. 
God will invite all people from all walks of life, from all parts of the world, from all journeys. God will invite all in. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of waiting for that world. Tired. There's a theologian, Israel uh, Kamuzandu. He, he reminds us this. He says, Christians are not called to escape into this new world, but rather to partner with God in ways that will allow the power of God and the Lamb to be experienced in this world. The new heaven and the new earth, they begin in the present moment, and every human being must experience its joy and goodness in the present moment. So while this passage in Revelation, it's supposed to, and I hope it does, bring us comfort and and describes for the first century Christians and for us this this perfect reality, this this dream, this idea of where God had intended, the, the future that God does desire, it has to be more than that. It's a call for active participation in God's active holy work. It's a reminder that we are co-creators with God, that, that in God dwelling with us, in God dreaming with us, in God guiding us into that preferred future, we too are designed and inherently um, are called to be doers of justice and mercy, to do that holy work of drawing people in. So I hope that we have the boldness to dream beyond even our wildest imaginations, that we might faithfully be led towards that future, the one that God has designed, not the ones that we want, not the ones that we make up, but the future that God has in store for us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we uh, give you thanks for this time together, for the abundance of your love, your unending love for all your children. Thank you for the ways you call us to live into that preferred future today, now, Inspire us and challenge us and move in us that we too would be the ones to live out that future today in this reality, in this moment, that there would be none left out, that there would be none kept out, and together we would make up that beloved community. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. All right, so that was our first sermon of our What is Church series uh, at Bothell. We invited folks to uh, actually be, take a moment to think about uh, what a particular dream of the church might be. What do you think of when you think of the future of the church? What is a dream that God may have placed on your heart? And we wanted to invite people to share with others, uh, to, to offer it into existence. So perhaps that's you. If you have a dream for the church that's stirring, we'd love for you to reach out to someone, to connect with them, and to share that. Uh, join us next week as we continue on this series, What is Church? And see how God might be leading us uh, into uh, God's preferred future. We'll check you out next time. See you then. 